everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Michael Branville, and as always, I'm joined by Jay Gilbert. How you doing, Jay? I'm doing great. Just got back from a week in Nashville. Got to see some good music. Got to see some friends and clients. I'm ready to get, get to back eat, to work. Eat, eat some barbecue? Oh, man, did I have good food. Such good food. I mean, yeah. 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 Wonderful. Na- Na- Nashville is a great place to visit. It really is. Really is. Um, all right. So before we get into this week's amazing guest and discussion, mm. uh, quick shout out. Thank you to Bruce at Hypebot and Bands in Town for everything you do to support us. And of course, to our sponsors. And, and before I get into that, if you're looking to get your product or service in front of people, reach out to Jay or myself. We'd love to yeah. talk to you about bringing you on board as a sponsor as well. Um, thank you to Bandzoogle.com. Built by musicians for musicians, Bandzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. Bandzoogle powers the websites for tens of thousands of musicians around the world, from weekend warriors to Grammy winners. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in, including hosting and a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, Tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and of course, incredible live tech support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. We put together a great little offer with Bandzoogle for all of our listeners out there. Head over to Bandzoogle.com, register, try it for free for 30 days, and when you register, make sure you use this promo code, Music Biz Weekly, all one word, Music Biz Weekly, and you will save 15% off the first year of any subscription. Good deal. And of course, thank you to discmakers.com. We know it's a digital world, but there's still an important role for physical media for today's musicians. Digital royalty payments are so small that selling products like CD, vinyl, T-shirts online and at gigs has become such an important income generator. For every CD you sell at a gig, you might need roughly 3,000 streams to make the same amount of money, and that's a lot of streams. Our friends at Disc Makers are the place to go for your discs and other physical media, including vinyl, USB drives, and even T-shirts. So we've got another great offer here that we put together with Disc Makers. Head over to discmakers.com. Place an order for 100 or more CDs. And when you check out, use the promo code FREEBIZ, FREEBIZ, all one word, and you will save up to $150 in shipping costs. It's nothing to sneeze at. Right. Um, all right, Jay. So who's joining us and oh what are we gosh. chatting about this week? Mike, we've been trying to align our schedule for months to have this conversation, and I'm so excited about it. Uh, gentleman's name is Dave Ratner, and he's he's a lawyer, an entertainment lawyer, but he's much more than that. You know, he's done things like, you know, he was a tour manager and a band manager and a publicist and all these other things, which makes him so much more effective uh, at what he does. And also he's really big on something you and I are really big on and that's education. And I'm just thrilled that we finally got the planets aligned and we get to talk to him today. Yeah, this was, this was a great discussion. Um, besides 
contracts in general, we really hit on a couple current event topics. You know, what, what do you need to worry about legally contract wise when it comes to touring and shows now in this world with COVID? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what about the, the tragedy at Astro World? I mean, what do you need to think about? And, and again, this isn't just for a band that's going to play to 50,000 people. You could play to a general admission crowd at a bar to 75 people. And, you know, unfortunately it could be a tragic event as well. I mean, there's, that's happened. Mm-hmm. That's happened. Sure so, um, you know, there's a lot to take away from this week's discussion. So let it roll and we'll see you at the end. Build a stunning band website in minutes with Bandzoogle. Go to bandzoogle.com to start your free 30-day trial and use the promo code MUSICBIZWEEKLY to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. Today we're joined by Dave Ratner. He's a principal at Creative Law Network, specializing in entertainment and intellectual property law. Um, What I dig about Dave is he's got a lot of experience, worn a lot of hats. He's been a tour manager, band manager. Um, Dave, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us today. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Thanks, guys. Happy to be here. So, Dave, Dave, first question, what was your favorite hat to wear? <laughs> I, I actually, I, I'm currently wearing my favorite hat, um, but I hope we can all say that, right? I think the, you know, being on the road for those years, I mean, to be clear, I start off, I mean, when I was in my 20s, I had a good office job, but I quit because I didn't care about what I was doing. And I cared about music so I went on the road and I I started I was selling CDs and t-shirts that's I was that's all you know and and learned how to drive the bus and um became the tour manager and nice and became the manager so I got to learn through all those steps and I think that's one of the most important things about being in this seat and wearing this hat is understanding the industry, understanding the background, understanding the players yeah. and everybody's interests. Cause then I can, when I go in representing a client, I know what's going on. That is yeah. so important. We were talking to a, a booking agent last week and he said that every booking agent should have to go out on the road for a week with their artist and oh, see yeah. the venues they're playing, how long the drive is between shows, how it's routed, what's going on. Because, you know, your experience informs your decisions and how you work with artists now. But also, I wanted to touch on something that you do. You're really big on education and kind of giving back to that music community. Can you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. I mean, I think that one of the things that attorneys, attorneys have information, right? But we also have a skill in helping with negotiations and identifying legal issues. The information is not there. We're not, we shouldn't be building walls around this stuff. Right. I mean, they, and I think one of the problems is, is that there's a lot of misinformation out there. So certainly, edu- and, and to me, an educated client an informed client is the best client to have. So um, I think we were talking a little a while earlier about, we do something in Colorado called Colorado attorneys for the arts, which is basically pro bono legal services for artists. Pro bono means free, right? So, and there's, and these, they're called, it's a volunteer lawyers for the arts organization. They're all over. There's, there's one, a big one in California. They're in New York, Chicago, all over the country. So, it, so it, and they, they also, it's not only representing artists, we're helping out anyone in the creative space. So if you're a label or a manager or whoever, and you need a contract, you know, reviewed or any sort of legal work, 
and you financially qualify, sure, then we're there to help. So we do. I do a lot of presentations, um, and uh, and try and get the information out there because then people can make informed decisions. And look, I think we know every artist, every business person is not going to hire a lawyer for every decision they make. Mm-hmm. Not usually the way it goes up until a certain point. So let's make sure you can make informed decisions if you're not calling your lawyer on that. And also just yeah, this industry is so confusing, right? I mean, yeah. all the different complexities all the different we have, nuances, all the yeah. different revenue streams, all the different players. So just helping sort that out is really important for anyone playing in the game. Yeah. Jay, yeah. Jay and I have always said, you know, an artist needs to be educated in this business and, and that education doesn't come from reading, you know, uh, a very high level article in the USA today, not to pick on them, but in media in general that, you know, says, Oh, you're getting screwed. Well, that's not an education, you know? And, right. and, and as we've always said, when it comes to the, you know, the Spotify not paying artist argument is like, does an artist actually even read their contract to understand who's paying them, where the money's sure. coming from, and who's getting parts of that money before it lands in their bank account? Yeah. You know, you're not going to learn that reading the New York Times, the USA Today. You're not learning that on Facebook. Yeah. I agree completely. And knowing who the players are and who's got what rights and who you talk to about what is, it, it's the foundational. Yeah. And it's such a different business now, I would imagine, than when you started. The configurations are different. The business is different. The way things are monetized are different. I think I would love to get your take on what kind of significant changes to like, let's say artist contracts. It's the business is 85% streaming. There are things like NFTs and live streams and there's all sorts of new revenue streams for artists. Has that made your job more difficult? And what are some of those changes over the years? Uh, you, you're pointing them out, right? I mean, as the ever ever since we went digital, it's just been constantly changing and at an increasing rate. And it, I don't know that it makes the job more difficult as much as it is you have to be on your game, which you always should be, right? Um, and I think that the con- thing about the contracts is the contracts, depending on which side you're on, right? Mm-hmm. If, you're, if we use the example of a record deal, the label is going to want to make sure that that language covers not only streams and downloads and NFTs, but whatever the next thing is, right? They're looking to make sure they've got their, their uh, rights sure. covered no matter what. And I think that we all want to be able to anticipate the future we can't, but one of, one of the reasons they contracts, we, that we use that legalese, right? That legal mumbo jumbo that barely sounds like English mm-hmm. is because we're using language that is attempting to include all of those different possibilities, everything that can happen under the sun, because gotcha. when that new medium comes out, when that new option is there, we're going to look to the contract to say, what's our rate on that? Or who gets to do that? And the contract needs to cover it. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that's that's the challenge is it's not even so much the revenue streams. It's just all the things somebody could claim the rights to. 
you yeah. know, that that somebody wants to own and control. I, I remember back in the late 90s, I worked for a merch company and, you know, artists were basically had no idea that there was any value to their online rights, just their online rights, period. Like, oh, no problem. I'll sign away my domain name and my website to whoever yeah. is in this contract. And then three years later, what do you mean I don't own my own name on the internet? Well, no, yep. because you signed the rights away. Where does it say that? Well, to your point, that legalese was a catch-all bucket. Yes, super and broad. It's super broad, and yeah. anything that fell into that, somebody could go claim it. Now, that's why you need education, and that's why you need a lawyer on your side to sit here and say, well, just so you know, hey, you know, this thing called the internet and websites are kind of coming <laughs> up right now. They're they're going to try and acquire that right from you. Exactly. You know, and is that what you want? At least be aware that's what they're doing. You know, I've seen so many just celebrities in general that, you know, lost their domain name, just mm -hmm. lost it. It was their given name, but they signed it away in a contract. And somebody else is just going to sit on it forever now or yeah. pay them. Well, and the thing is, it's what is in these contracts um, is so specified. You know, we're, we're dealing with such minutiae that may not seem important at the time, but you still have to pay attention to it. And I'll regularly get, um, you know, someone will say to me, oh, well, I'll talk, be talking to a new client and they'll say, well, I've got this contract and I had my uncle read it and he's a lawyer. He's not an entertainment lawyer, but he read the contract. And yeah, I, I can read any contract too. I can read it about something I know nothing about. I can tell you what it says, but I can't tell you whether it's right or fair or a good deal. And that's where, you, you know, an, edu an informed attorney who's done the research and who's kept up with the industry is going to know yeah, this is a point we need to argue on. This is something we need to negotiate. That other point is standard. We'll leave that alone, right? And finding an attorney that knows that stuff, also one that you're comfortable with, that you want on your team, that you have confidence in, all of those things. But yeah. really that knowledge, that background to understand, like you said, what this means and wow, how it could affect you down the road. Yeah. Is streaming a, a challenge for you? And what, what I mean by that is it's such a big portion of the revenue. And as you know, the DSPs don't pay artists, they pay the rights holders, and that's typically the label. And if there are a lot of co-writes, that's going to dilute the publishing side. And on the label side, they typically get between, I don't know, 15 to 25% royalty. So it's even whittled down a little bit more from there. Are you finding that that's a, a big part of what you're doing with music company uh, contracts is trying to make those things fair. And the last thing I'll, I'll say on it, I'll, I'd love to hear your answer is that there's also so much other value that we don't think about, you know, the, the value of the company that artists don't typically participate in. So talk a little bit about how that's changed the way you approach your work. Well, I think it's about identity when, I mean, it kind of, it goes back to revenue streams and I'm not someone who says it's all about the money, but really this is a business, right? A, a, an artist is out there to, to make a living. 
And so identifying those revenue streams and making sure we're protecting them. Yeah, streaming is one of them, but as you said, it's not it's not primary. It's not making we're not making a living or most artists right. are not making a living on their streaming. So what and what sort of deals are we getting into where some where people are dipping into those other revenue streams is I see so many deals where though where there's they want a piece of the merch, they want a piece of the ticket sales, right? And so, and it's kind of like, well, okay, if that fits this sort of deal, and if we're actually going to make money on that, great. But when a small label or you know a new label comes out and says, here, you know, here's your deal, and we're going to take a percentage of everything you make. I don't know about that. I don't think they're really, they don't deserve that yet. Are they adding value? Are they exactly that, that's right? The are they, what, what are, are they, they giving what are they... you more merch sales than you would have already had? Right. Go ahead, Michael. I was just going to say, are they contributing in some way to helping that revenue stream grow that merch yeah. stream, the ticket sales, or are they just looking to grab anything that's flying by? Exactly. Exactly. And I think, Jay, to your point, or actually both what we've been talking about so far is this idea of the unexpected or the next thing to come, right? So if we look at contracts from a few years ago, before we knew the, the, the letters NFT, how is that dealt with? Now, for most, if you're a manager, for example, your management deal is going to commission every dollar, no matter where it comes from. Right. But if it's a label deal and we're talking, I mean, let's say it's a distro deal where it's just, we're just doing uh, digital and physical distribution. Okay. Well, is an NFT digital distribution or is it a separate product? Is it merch of some sort? Where does it right. fall? And that's where that really frustrating language really matters. Right. Dave, Dave let me ask you, you know, so many artists, the Holy Grail often is, I just, I got to have a record deal. I mean, that's, that's the grail that they seek. That's their, their, in their mind, that's success. And they'll do anything to get that. When they get one of these contracts, how, how do I phrase this? How comfortable should they be in willing to carve out items out of that contract to go back to the, the label or manager, whoever it might be and say, I like everything, but you know what? I want to make sure you're not taking a piece of A, B, and C. You know, I get the feeling there's there's many artists who are like, no, if I bring that up, mm -hmm. it's all or nothing. They're, the, the label's just saying, walk away. We're not going to sign you. So there's that fear that they've got that they're going to get nothing. So they're rather give away everything in the hopes of getting something. Does that make sense? Oh, sure. I've had that conversation plenty of times. And a f I mean, a few different things about what you just said. One is the idea of the, the deal being the, the one thing we have to have. And I think one of the conversations that's important to have early on is why? Why do you want this deal? What do you want out of it? Because if we talk about what a label does for you, right? The we don't need labels to do just simple distribution. Anyone can use two That's right. CD Baby, DistroKid. You don't need a label to put your music online. Right. But they should, they should definitely be adding value with marketing and promoting the music. Yep. And maybe, maybe helping you with a producer deal. I mean, certainly yep. funding the music, 
right? So yeah. it's kind of like, what is it that the band or artist wants out of this deal? I think is an important question. I do too. And I'm and, sorry, just no, go ahead. quickly, what you just said reminds me of some of the artist managers I've been speaking with lately who are taking on those roles and responsibilities of hiring a publicist. I don't need a label to hire a publicist, getting a sync licensing company. Well, I've got relationships there. I know a sync licensing thing. So it comes down to basically are, is the label going to use their muscle and their relationship and their ownership of some of these or part ownership of some of these DSPs to really put you ahead of the pack? Because if not, they're just a bank. Right. Right. And are they a fit for your vision? Right. Is this, I mean, they, the home you want to have and for how long, how many albums is this? Yeah. Uh, but going back, I think also the, um, the other thing to kind of consider in this, in this dynamic is whether and how negotiable it is, like you were talking about, like I, whether you're saying, do we want to give up everything? And uh, I, you don't have to give up everything. The, the way that, Although every deal is different, every dynamic is different. In general, I, I find with all deals, not just label deals, if they've got, if you've gotten this far, if they've handed you a contract, they obviously believe in something about you. They think you're worthwhile one way or another. And if they're going to pull the deal just because you ask, you try to negotiate, doesn't sound like is, a great is, partnership. Well, I was going to say, isn't right? that a bad sign in itself? Right? And also, I, I've almost, almost never seen a deal go away because we tried to negotiate it. Gotcha. If they're really interested, and the other thing, by the way, that I see all the time is where we'll get kind of, there, there'll be kind of this time pressure. Like, oh, it's got to be signed by Friday. And I'm like, well, if they love you on Thursday, they're still going to love you on Monday. And if they don't, then I think they're not being right. very clear. Honestly. That makes a lot of sense. So there's a lot, but I understand the pressure. I understand, yeah, we want that deal so badly. Um, right. But also the going back to what we were talking about before, understanding those deal points. We're not just, we're not just playing with marbles here, trading back and forth. There's a reason we want to negotiate this, that, or the other thing. Let's are, talk about it and understand yeah. it. What are some things that are negotiated? Are, do labels still try to get a piece of publishing? publishing? Do they still try to get your your merch and are is the recoupment process still pretty much the same if they're promoting you and creating videos there's a certain percentage of that that how is that dynamic changing well i think one of the things that's changing the dynamic that's changing is how many different types of deals there are when mm -hmm. we're getting in with independence right where there's so many different ways that smaller artists and smaller labels are doing different sorts of deals that we can kind of go we can talk about that the traditional prototypical major label deal right but i think that most artists are not in that seat most most artists are talking to a smaller label that may do things differently I think um, one thing that certainly I've seen a lot of smaller artists come up or be offered deals where the label says, oh, artist, you go pay for the album and then we'll go take it. And that's never, right? that's never where we want to start, yeah. right? You, because then, then the artist come, starts off in the hole. Yeah. Um, but we do certainly see, we see deals where there's not a big advance. Yeah. And important for an artist to understand in advance, right? An advance feels like a big check, 
But it's just it's it's money that you were going to get paid. You're just getting it earlier. It's They're kind, it's kind of it basically it's just a loan. It's getting yeah. paid back one way exactly. or another. <laughs> exactly. It's not free money. There's no yeah. free lunch. So understanding how it plays out in in that timeline in the long term. Yeah. Have you noticed lately? I, I know Mike Mike and I have talked about this. The the lines are blurring between labels and distribution. And now you're seeing distributors who are starting to kind of do some of those roles and responsibilities, including advances. Are, are you seeing that as well? Yeah, absolutely. There's the lines just keep blurring. I feel like it's been happening and it, it's, it, it just keeps on going. Um, I think one of the reasons is because there are so be, I think part partially because the traditional label model from 30 years ago doesn't work anymore, right? And so then the model from 20 years ago isn't really working anymore. We're constantly evolving because like I said before, ultimately everybody wants to make, make their living. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Dave, I'd love to pick your brain real quick here. You, you know, you had experience, as you said, out on the road and yeah. obviously, you know, touring has become the significant revenue stream for the vast majority of artists out there. And yep. basically the last two years, that model touring has gone belly up. It's just starting to come back now, but it's coming back in a new world, meaning COVID protocols, safety concerns. Um, what are things that artists, whether it's, you know, a small artist traveling in a station wagon, or it's an artist traveling in, you know, 15 buses. Um, what are the things they are now having to, to become familiar with in the touring world from the standpoint of like new liabilities, new concerns, new legalities related to all of this COVID safety and protocols and testing and sickness. And we mentioned just before we hit the record button a couple of weeks ago, Rolling Stone released a pretty big article about how um, three crew members from the KISS tour came forward anonymously and basically said it was the lack of COVID protocols on the KISS tour that might've resulted in the death of one of their crew members. I mean, that's huge. Yeah. What yeah. does that mean to the band, the manager, the promoters, any, all of the various people in the touring world now, what do they need to start thinking about? Well, it's interesting because when this first started, seems like ages ago, right? Uh, when COVID first started, yeah. the initial conversations we were having around touring were liability for transmission among fans, among attendees, which has kind of gone by the wayside because as vaccines have rolled out and we have breakthrough infections, we're starting to realize nobody, most people don't even know where they got it. So the chances of a fan saying, I got COVID at your show and I'm going to sue you is just become non non. It's, it's impossible to prove, basically. Yeah, it, it'd be very hard. It'd be extremely hard to prove. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that is transformed into now we're much more concerned or rather the in the industry, we're certainly having these conversations, like you're saying, about protocols for band crew and people involved. Um, I think that the liability is still, there's basically a standard of care, a reasonable standard of care, 
right? If you're doing, if you're, if you're acting reasonably, which is what an average person would expect, um, then you're probably, you know, the, your liability is not, well, I don't want to make any blanket statements. I think what, if we talk about an example of a tour where there aren't, um, we're not sticking to protocols and someone gets sick. Well, the question there is what protocols were supposed to be in place for a band out on the road where nobody cares, where the idea is, Hey, we're just out, you know, we're going to do our best. Well, then that is the environment you've created. There are no rules. If you've implemented rules, well, then following them is going to be important. I think that what we're seeing so often is the threat to the artist's livelihood that they can't stay on the road because someone does get infected. So in fact, what we end up seeing is that artists really just have to be careful because it's making a living, right? Staying out there on the road. And if someone gets infected, that can threaten the entire operation. Yeah. And unfortunately, we're, we've, as we've seen throughout this pandemic, there's a lot of, um, everyone kind of has their own way of dealing with it. And I'm, I'm having, even within the band, one, there's different members that deal with it different ways. And that's right. Strife. And so I think that the kiss example is one where, yeah, we could actually see some legal liability because a death resulted from people not following established rules or if people were not established. Right. But I think for the most part, it's hard. We haven't seen, thus far a lot of legal liability for illness from covid like we said like we were saying because who knows where we got it and how whose job is it to not get it whose job it is to protect you from getting it yeah what 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 about things like so it was mentioned in the article that the 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 band kiss said that they knew of a couple of their workers faked a vaccine card even though they were supposed to be vaccinated going out hid being ill while on the road um seems to me that is opening up a huge can of worms there as well and i think it's it, we can we can all basically say that's just something that's happening worldwide it's not just yeah. in the entertainment business but if you're a band that is doing everything you can but then you find out the bar lied about everybody being vaccinated or lied about checking vaccine cards for people coming in. I mean, I guess that's what I'm trying to get my head around here. Is this going to change performance contracts in that there's going to be new clauses, new terms put in that says a band, the band finds out the venue lied, covered up something, related to COVID and an illness, you know, lawsuit. The contracts, the contracts have already changed. I mean, that that's already happened where we have COVID protocol in riders or in, in the actual performance agreements. The issue is if that, if what resulted or what happened was a breach of the contract and if damage resulted, then the party that breached could be liable for those damages. It's a little, it gets tricky because it depends on who was damaged and how, mm-hmm. right? And so, and I think we're kind of, <clears throat> those, those contracts, the clauses we are seeing or writing in those contracts tend to be, don't tend to uh, uh, be, there's legal liability if anybody in your room has COVID because 
we can use our, as if you're the venue, you can use your best efforts to protect against that, but you're not likely to get, make that guarantee to someone. The, we're much more seeing, honestly, the, the issue that I think is being more, it has become more prominent in these contracts is what happens if we have to cancel a show? Yeah. What happens if we have to reschedule a show? Because that, as you guys know, has thrown everything. I mean, it's made it really hard for any everybody on the touring side to keep things rolling because there's just everything is subject to change. Yeah. yeah. Are we are we kind of at a point where we're unfortunately waiting for the first lawsuit to come up and rear its ugly head related to this stuff to see how it's going to play out, to see what holds up in court and what gets dismissed? I think that's one part of it, um, but I don't think that will decide it for everybody and for a number of reasons, because the circumstances are going to be different every time. And a, a, a lawsuit that results is going to be state court under state law. So which state are you in and does it matter? Yeah. All yeah. those things that um, make it hard for there to be just one hard, a set of hard and fast rules for everybody. Gotcha. I, I would imagine it's similar to, you know, in the news this week, the big uh, astral world, um, you know, just that tragedy of people losing their lives at this show. And I would imagine that there, there's some same complexities there when you're talking about liability, you know, is it the promoter and did they do everything that they said they were going to do and they're supposed to do how much liability does the artist have you know, was it encouraged? You know, is there a track record of it? Well, I'd love to get your thoughts on kind of that whole astral world situation this week. It's so tragic. It's so sad. And it's so bad for everybody. It is. Right. I mean, it's, it's terrible for these families that have been just crushed by this, but also it's bad for the industry, right? It's not like, oh, we're just going to keep selling tickets regardless of how many people die. Like everybody should be motivated and to, you know, to, to protect against this and not at all saying that anybody involved wanted this to happen or thought it would happen. <clears throat> right now, we're seeing, I mean, just staffing is so hard, right? I mean, we're seeing this, whether it's at your local coffee shop or local venue or festival uh, in Houston, if you can't staff enough security guards, you're going to have a hard time controlling the crowd. I'm not saying that was the case. I don't right. have an inside track on this. Just if we talk about all the different things that can go wrong, there are some things we control and some things that are harder to control. Yeah. Um, and the liability is, look, I mean, the for better or worse, the way our legal system works is anybody can sue anyone for anything. doesn't mean you're going to be successful, right. but well, you can part of... Well, you can, and in these situations or in a lot of legal situations, the strategy is we're going to sue everybody, throw it all against the wall and see what sticks. Gotcha. This is where in the contracts for, well, all contracts, but in certainly in contracts like this, the indemnification clause means so much. Mm. And it is something. So on the live side, on the production side, we're always paying, or we should always be paying particular attention to the indemnification clause, which admittedly is a very confusing concept in the law, but basically it means being held harmless. It basically means that in a, in, in a two-party contract, if we use the example of a simple artist promoter contract, 
where um, the parties indemnify each other, which is not always the case. But basically what it means is if one side breaches the contract, does something wrong, and the other side ends up getting sued, the first side has to pay for the second side's defense. That's basically what indemnification is. So in this situation, there's going to be endless finger pointing, right? But what we're looking at, what if what we are looking at for protection for those folks that didn't really have, uh, that may not be liable, but may get caught up in it, is they're looking at their indemnification clause to see, hey, is someone going to pay for my defense? Yeah, because this has happened. I remember when I was in high school, you probably remember years ago, The Who was playing a festival seating thing, I believe in Cincinnati, and people died. And it just changed. They got, you know, there were all sorts of new rule changes with how much security would be there. They got rid of festival seating for a short time. It was really everybody had their seats and weren't just cramming up. Um, You have any sense of how this might change the business going forward? I mean, unfortunately, you know, a few years ago, we had those stage collapses. Oh, yeah. Right. 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 Did that change anything? Yeah, it made people much more aware and more fearful. And that's and that there's a good thing that comes out of that and that people are hopefully going to be take more care. More diligent. I don't I don't think that it is it is rare that a single event creates a sea change throughout the industry. So I don't think we're going to see the end of festival seating again. I think that people, but I've already on Monday morning had clients emailing me saying, hey, let's look at our contract, make sure if we were the ones involved that we're going to be okay. Yeah. And so it's really informing our future decisions like, oh, well, not only could this happen, but that could happen too. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, as as tragic as this is, what we might end up seeing here at the end is it was a series of perfect storm events. Right. Not just one thing that went wrong, but 10 things that cascaded onto each other. And the reality of that repeating is pretty far-fetched. I mean, you know, let's I, hope so. I, I, and let's hope so. Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen fans who are like, well, you know, we need to get rid of general admission and give everybody an assigned seat. But, you know, I'm sitting here going, well, I remember when I was going to concerts in high school in arenas, it was assigned seats and I was third row center. And as soon as the house lights went down, those seats didn't mean anything. I ended up in the front row because it was just a sea of people that just went. Yep. So, you know, I, I think what I'm getting at is quick reactions and overreactions aren't necessarily going to solve this, prevent this from happening again. This yeah. really has to be looked at in a much deeper, what was everything? What's just mm-hmm. going on in general? Um, yeah. To your point, I don't see one event making a dramatic change industry-wide. Yeah. But there are lessons to be learned. There are lessons sure. to be learned for sure. Right. Yeah. And there, and there will be lawsuits to teach those lessons. Yes. There yeah. already are. There already um, are. You're uh, yeah. to your point, yeah. you know, there's always somebody who's ready to go. Listen, there's a lot of big money people here. Let's sue everybody, throw it against the wall and see what ends up. Yeah. 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 Um, Dave, I wanted to ask you about something that's pretty hot on on our minds and a lot of folks, and I wanted to see if you're involved in it uh, at all. 
and that's like this the crb4 kind of the fight between um publishers slash songwriters and dsps and you know how you know basically the dsps like apple spotify whoever you know the the rate is at 15.1 percent and they want it to be a lot less like 10 percent that they they pay to the publishing and of course on the other side of that the nmpa you know those folks wanted to be closer to 20 and there's this the crb you know the board you know we're coming up on on four and they're going to be you know, uh, it's like a legally binding thing, as I understand it, for the next five years. Are you involved in that at all? I'm not. In, no, I'm not. I mean, I'm not involved in going and, and uh, um, submitting anything to the board. Um, and as you know, the CRB is a, a few select people. Yeah. Um, and the negotiations, it really ends up being the, um, the representatives of the groups, Right, so it's not that you have individual artists necessarily going and and uh, and right. submitting things to the board. It's the NMPA, right? Right, um, and ideally we have these groups. Right, we have unions to represent the union members. That's how it's supposed to work. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but it comes down to dollars and cents, um, right. and I think it's so hard because we've had these sorts of push and pull scenarios forever, right? I mean, we, yeah. the conversation, for example, think back to this, this conversation is still going on about whether we should be paying performance royalties for terrestrial radio. Right. right? Or, and it, and I, for as long as I've been in this industry, we've been having that conversation and we are still having that conversation. And, that, and to be clear, that's, you're really talking about the United States because in yes. other territories, they do that, which right. makes it even more odd to me. Well, it's especially odd because of the trajectory of ter- terrestrial radio, right? So, <laughs> good point. But good point. But, but the thing is, I mean, terrestrial radio absolutely has a very important place still, mm-hmm. and they're still fighting to never pay those fees. Yeah. Um, so there are. I think here's the thing: we do the CRB has its role, um, and the laws have set up the CRB and the regulations have empowered the CRB to follow, follow these, these paths. The good thing is when we see progress, when we see changes, we, there is, there, there's, for example, the case act, which basically has created the copyright small claims court, mm-hmm. right? And that's again, something we talked about for years and now it's actually going to come about Finally. where you're not going to have to spend tens of thousands of dollars because someone infringed your song, just to, right? So there are these changes and they may be small steps, but it, it is progress. So we do see progress in certain places. <laughs> right, because a lot of these things have been in place for like 75, 80 years. Oh, and just now we're getting the Music Modernization Act. And for those that don't know, CRB is what? Uh, Copyright Royalty Board, I Correct. think, that, that yep. panel. Dave, we could talk to you for hours. We knew we could talk to you for hours. We would love to have you back on again sometime. I I just find this so fascinating. And I love the fact that you have worn those other hats and you've done those things because I think you have a perspective that not a lot of music attorneys have because you know what it's like to be on the road. You know what it's like to get up early and go to a radio station or to have your artist record something and... I, I just think that's super, super valuable. Where can people 
you know, you were talking about some of these resources. Where can people find them? Where can people learn more about what you do and what you're all about? Where can they reach out to you? Easiest place to find me is at Creative Law Network. So it's creativelawnetwork.com. And that's that's the law firm I started to do this sort of work. Um, creativelawnetwork.com has those links to a lot of those resources, yeah. um, like the local volunteer lawyers for the arts. And um, look, th this is... This is so much fun to have these conversations because we really, there's so much to consider and so many different people involved. Yeah. And really, ultimately, guys, I think all of us here, we want to help our clients. Absolutely. Right? We're here to help exactly. our clients yep. be successful. Yes. And that's ultimately what we're in the business of doing is helping people be successful. Yeah. Yep. Thanks again, yep. Dave. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much for your time, man. That was Thank absolutely you awesome, man. Fantastic. We'll do it again. All right. Talk you to bet. you again. Take care. Awesome. Thanks. Discmakers.com. Use code FREEBIZ for ground shipping on CD orders of 100 units or more, $150 value. Yeah, that was another conversation that easily could have been four hours on just easily. one topic. We just barely topic. scratched the surface. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things we could talk to him. And you and I knew that before we hit record. I think you had even mentioned, you know, at the end of this thing, we're going to say this could have gone on for another yep. four hours. Yeah, because there's did. just, there's so many topics you can focus on. Yeah. You know, general topics, but then there's, so you much. know, current event topics, which we high level touched on COVID and we touched on Astro World, but yeah. You know, and, and, I, and I think what I was, I want people to take away from this is there's so much stuff happening that you just need to be aware. You can't just assume the contract you got from that bar is a good contract. I don't, yeah. you know, maybe take them today and finally read one and see what it says. Yeah. And if, and, you know, if you've got a question in the back of your mind where you're like, well, it really doesn't mention what happens if there's, you know, a mosh pit of the GA show and people get killed. Yeah. Ask yeah. that question. I mean, right. And to your point, like, look, if you don't have a lot of money, he's got resources. There are he was talking about in, in several states that there are free resources. People do it pro bono to help yep. independent developing artists look in your area and find out who those are. And if you can't find something, you know, reach out to Dave and his team. Um, there could be resources out there for you that are free that you don't know about. I mean, like everything in this world, we all go through this world thinking it's not going to happen to me. It happens to somebody else. Well, you know, I'm sure Astroworld didn't think they were going to be the one that this was going to happen to. Absolutely. And Good point. No, nobody there ever was like, yeah, this is going to happen to us. Now they try and do what they can to prevent it. But yeah, you know, in the blink of an eye, your career, no matter how big or small you are as a band right now can change instantly yeah. because of one, you got to make sure that you don't have liability somewhere right? out there that that's the yeah. whole thing, you know, and, and, and to the Rolling Stone article, I mean, kiss had a crew member that died, died from COVID. We don't know how that's going to play out. Yeah, we like don't you, know who's liable. You know it's not going to play out pretty. Let's put it that way. It's a tragedy no matter it's how you look at it. It's a tragedy, and it's going to turn into a legal mess at some point somewhere. You yeah. don't want that to be you. Again, even if all you're doing is traveling in a van with one buddy who's helping you, and you're playing to 200 people, 
it can still happen. Yeah. And you need to think about these things. And what does that mean to you? Are you just rolling the dice that you're just going to be lucky? I mean, I think a lot of people, that's how they operate and fine, but I don't know. Contingency plans is what I'm always about. Think about it. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, all right. So before we uh, wrap up here, just a quick shout out to Bruce Hypebot bands in town. Thank you so much. And of course, to our sponsors, bandzoogle.com and discmakers.com. Thank you for everything you do to support us. If you are watching or listening on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. If you're listening on Spotify, which according to a recent story, Spotify has now overtaken Apple as a pot, the number one podcast destination. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy when Unreal. you think about that. Um, but if you're listening on Spotify, please hit that follow button. And uh, if you are it. on iTunes, subscribe, follow us. Yep. We appreciate it. It means so much to us when when you guys follow leave comments ask us questions um it it's it's so encouraging and and i don't know it just makes me feel warm inside that it's like <laughs> somebody's like oh man that that episode really hit the mark it helped me here yeah. thank you so much or you know that stuff is important it's the thank best you. i love it when people reach out so feel free to reach out to me or mike we love the feedback um, yep. we're big boys. We can take it. Yep. So thank you. So that's it for the music biz weekly podcast. We'll see everybody next week.